Okay, so welcome to Uncharted Territory, the podcast where we talk about extraordinary experiences, psychedelics, consciousness, and society. Today I'm with Charlotte James. She's an educator, medicine woman, and the founder of Psychedelic Liberation Training. Welcome, Charlotte. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. So I was saying to like a relative that we were going to do this podcast episode today and I very briefly like described kind of what you're about and just from me saying like the word post-colonial or, or decolonial he really like jumped on it and, and got me to like define what it meant and I gave my snap definition I referenced white dominated culture or society and maybe even touched on the British Empire and he went completely ballistic. I mean, it was still like fairly civil, but it, it really touched a nerve. And for me, getting out of this kind of echo chamber where everyone kind of thinks the same things and quite often correctly, at, at least in the psychedelic space on these kinds of issues. Yeah, I was pretty surprised. So what's your take on, yeah, whenever this might happen to you? Like, what, what's your response? Yeah, absolutely. This is actually a not uncommon response to this work um, because many people, especially those who are in the psychedelic space, the medicine space, have this understanding that we are all one. And there's sort of this universal truth that's carried or seen as universal truth that we are all one, that we are interconnected that we are just the human race and we don't need to look at um, the past, at the formation of racial history, at colonial history and how these patterns continue to repeat and continue to impact our society, our communities, and also disproportionately impact different members of our global society. So for me, the way that I approach this conversation, in, especially with people who have that response, is to say, sure, there, there is this truth that we are all one. However, the way that our world is set up, the way that our systems function right now, the way that our interpersonal relationships happen, the way that we even relate to ourselves, does not hold that to be true in our world at this moment. And frequently, this is coming from people who are white presenting, who heavily subscribe to the myth of whiteness. And so it's this is a it's a nuanced and complex conversation in which we say, sure, race is a social construct, gender is a social construct, even time is a social construct, but they're all constructs that guide our world and our understanding of ourselves and our place in the world and and our relationships and our connections. So I think it's really important to have an understanding of history of how the myth of race was born um, for all peoples, including white presenting people to recognize that at one point their ancestry was indigenous to some place and practiced animist traditions or traditions in which they saw spirit in the material. Um, and to begin to really peel back the layers of 
what is it that I know or what is it that I believe and where does that come from? Does it come from my own experience or is it coming from people in my life telling me, institutions telling me, laws telling me how I'm supposed to act, how I'm supposed to perceive the world, how I'm supposed to interact with others. And so this is where we start to get into the importance of decolonizing the psychedelic space, decolonizing um, education, so that we can learn from the past and learn how to not continue upholding and repeating the patterns of these violent systems. Yeah, I mean, so so given psychedelics are meant to like expand or elevate people's consciousnesses, it, it does seem like it's a shame that a lot of these efforts are kind of afterthoughts for, for many people or, or they, they fall by the wayside entirely. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, like, if ceremonies that are, you know, held by white people are, are necessarily like a bad thing. Um, it, I guess it depends how they've sourced the medicine as well and their their relationship with commu those communities from whom they, they source the medicine. But yeah, we've now got these kind of million, multi-million, perhaps billion dollar companies and some have got reciprocity projects, some don't. Many of them haven't even got off the ground yet. Psychedelics aren't even really legal yet, so there's perhaps no surprise. But what efforts are you, are you kind of most impressed by? I know that you've been working on a lot of stuff as well in, in this area of the last few years. Yeah, I agree that I don't feel that white people holding ceremonies is inherently a bad thing in any way. And this is, again, part of this, like, peeling back the layers of your own ancestry. What were the Celts doing? What were the Druids doing? What were the Nordic communities doing? How are they working with these plants? How are they building and maintaining right relationship with the earth? And how can we bring that into the present? It's really for me, like, how do we enhance and expand the richness of the types of ceremonies that we're engaging in? Right now we're in this place where there's sort of this like, putting certain indigenous communities on a pedestal or romanticizing um, indigenous life as something that is outside of ourselves or, or other or exotic. And this is also where this understanding this process of colonization comes into play because what we see now is a lot of people who were, who are part of groups that are um, hold a lot of power in our world, appropriating, extracting, and capitalizing on traditions that they don't have any genuine connection to. And so it's really this, again, this repetition of the extractive nature of colonization, the extractive nature of white supremacy being brought into a space that is meant to be about building community and healing and feeling this sense of interconnectedness with others and part of that is also going to be feeling the the pain or the impact of the actions of your ancestors on other groups of people um one there are a few organizations that i feel like are doing um really beautiful work one is the all foundation and um, they run a three-year training program that i am a part of as a student and a tutor as well that really helps students to 
build more genuine connection with the communities that we have the privilege of working with or sitting with in medicine ceremonies, um, connections that have been, the foundation has been building over the past 25 plus years. And so it's really removing that sort of aspect of medicine tourism um, from the equation. I would say Dr. Bronner's is also doing a lot of really important work and they are part of the International Medicine Conservation Fund, the IMCF. I think they're doing really powerful, powerful work. Um, so those would be two sort of places to start a rabbit hole on finding um, value aligned practitioners or training programs or reciprocity projects. Yeah, you mentioned the, the Celts and the Druids and some other groups. I guess there's not stone wall clear evidence that they were, say, using mushrooms, but there, there's there's certain objects and, and a few paintings that do suggest, but it's not a real, like, smoking gun. And then obviously folks say that these foraging communities would have known everything around so well it, it's kind of perhaps inevitable that they would have come into contact with with magic mushrooms what what's your view on the whole thing to, to me it does seem that it's only in kind of mexico and parts of guatemala today and siberia where there's real you know indisputable evidence of historic magic mushroom use yeah i mean i say this not to be offensive but i also think that there's a lot of laziness around that viewpoint um that there wasn't evidence because there's a number of people who have written about there being evidence as you said there's a number of paintings symbols etc um you know colonization had to be practiced first somewhere and that happened to be in europe and so there was this sort of homogenizing of um, an erasing, which is the first step of colonization is like the erasure of the practices that were present and part of daily life or part of ritual practice or part of ceremonial practice. So I do think it's a little bit of, of that. Um, and then it's also like, not just the psychoactive, but like what herbs were being worked with what was burned as smudge to clear space what was like everybody just has these go-tos like oh we all use white sage now we all use but it's like if you go and look at like italian witchcraft history for example they were working with rosemary to clear space so how can we diversify the practices and also use ancestral history like lineage research as a way of empowerment and as a way of walking back the erasure that did occur i'm biracial germanic and afro-caribbean descent through jamaica and i will agree like it has been harder to find evidence of what practices were happening in the germanic tribes than it is to look to Jamaica or West Africa and see what practices were used, I would say enslaved 
Africans had to make a very, very huge effort um, and frequently were punished through extreme violence in order to protect and maintain some of our traditions. And I also have faith that if you go back and you look hard enough and you uncover enough stones that you begin to discover more of the indigenous practices of what is now present-day Europe. Sure. Obviously, I'm sympathetic to the view that Roman attacks on the Druids were deep and the Crusades and forcing anyone who was worshipping God in nature to get into the church. And mushrooms, they deteriorate or degrade far quicker than any other psychedelic as well. So in Latin America, where they found traces of ayahuasca or DMT snuff, there's never going to be thousand-year-old traces of mushrooms. It just disintegrates. But yeah, I'm still sympathetic as well to the more evidence-based view of people like Andy Letcher, the author of the cultural history of, of shroom. But maybe this brings us on nicely to talk a bit about how yeah, the knowledge was stewarded in Oaxaca, Mexico. The history of Maria Sabina and Wautla are a really clear example of the very messy impacts of colonial thought of the characteristics of white supremacy. Uh, I was actually also in Wautla recently in January and I had uh, an interesting experience with that tradition. So the story of Maria Sabina that is frequently untold are the sort of more um, violent impacts of Gordon Wasson being there, uh, disregarding her request to not share about his experience, even the way that he was able to access ceremony um, was is quite questionable. Um, and and out of integrity. And I had some conversations with people there asking this question of like, how do you feel about Westerners coming now and like doing these ceremonies and seeking these things out? And the response was always immediately to the economic. Like, oh, well, it's good for the hotels and the restaurants here. And that the question for me though is, sure, if we take the economic question out of it, though, like, is this something that is welcome? Um, is this something that would be seen as good? Because then in talking to other folks who are not business owners, but who are members of the Mazatec community, they were talking about their concerns about the sustainability of their tradition and that for them, it's really important that ceremonies are given in their language, but that their language is dying out. And the elders who were really facilitating this work are also, you know, in that that place of transitioning in life. Um, and so I wonder, like, what happens when we take capitalism out of the picture? Like, I recognize that we cannot do that, right? But just as, like, a thought exercise... Um, what happens when we're not talking about this from an economic viewpoint? Um, I also, I don't know what your experience was, but I had very potent ceremonies and I was super grateful to the person who was leading them, but like there was not a sense of community in it. It's very much like you go to one person's house 
and that person and maybe their family is participating. Um, but it was very different than going to the I community in Ecuador and it being like very much a whole community ritual and participatory ceremony. Yeah, I mean, the night before, we, we, we sat with the medicine that we'd harvested that day. There had been like a community ceremony that this family and their extended family and some friends had sat in. There was never any suggestion that we would, you know, be invited to a community ceremony. We, we would just have our own private ceremony with one wise woman. It wasn't so potent. But perhaps it depends depends on the season with the mushrooms and and the strain. But it was a beautiful beautiful experience, and we, we we had a we had a nice time there. And you know we made sure to more than adequately reimburse everyone we we came into contact with. But there, there's this like economic question as as well. It's like okay, you just pay your way through a weekend in Woutler, like good for you. Yeah, I was surprised by the quantity of medicine i thought that it would be much larger i think the potency for me came from the elder who was holding this space that her energy really amplified the the medicine and we also sat in three ceremonies over the course of a week so there was also sort of this building um, of the work and the process. But yeah, I think you bring up a really good point of this, like, this transactional nature that has developed in the space where there is this, oh, I paid and so I'm, like, in right relationship or I, like, compensated them well. And yeah, not looking at, like... I bought flowers, therefore everything's okay. But at the time, like, you know, I... And even now, I'm like, well, I did buy a very large bouquet of flowers. Like, yeah, give me a pat on the back. Like, not really, but still, there's that, like, essence as well, right? Like, I've always lived pretty much, you know, in a Western capitalist society. And, and that's, like, a nice thing for me to do, I guess. But then it's like, well, what else are you doing, dude? Yeah, and, like, you still, it's still this very, like, exoticized, like, I'm going to go in. I'm going to have this transactional interaction with these people. I'm going to like gain from this situation mentally, spiritually, inexperienced, whatever. And then I'm going to leave. And like, am I doing anything in my daily life that embodies the right relationship that I want to be in with these medicines in these communities? Or is it like a drop in experience that I'm just going to come back to my life and continue living in the same way that I was? and not reconciling with my own role in the systems that maintain that, like, well, is still a very poor place. Like, economically, the people there are not, it's, it's not the same access to resources that we have in the West. And so, um, yeah, like, how do we reconcile that? How do we, for me, it's also how do we take these journeys and our work with the medicine beyond the the personal triumvirate i call it of like my body my spirit my mind and into this conversation of 
And now I'm working with these medicines to unlearn the conditioning that I have been subjected to so that I can uncover my role or my purpose in the march towards collective liberation. And so not just like, oh, it's my personal healing transformation or my personal healing journey, but really how are we involving collective and communal shift into this? And how are we involving our relationships? Like these medicines are relational. And so how are we bringing that? How are we embodying that in our day-to-day life? Totally. I mean, I actually went there to kind of write a report for Vice around like the history of, of magic mushrooms. And I never wanted to sit in a ceremony. Two friends, you know, were super down for it. And I was acutely aware of the whole thing and like the whole history of Gordon Wasson sparking million people coming to Woutler and the army having to like block off the road. And it's important to note that capitalism is young in Woutler and Gordon Wasson's visit and the influx of tourists that it prompted definitely hastened the arrival of more of a transactional economy. So when we're talking about all of this, yeah, I just think it's important to mention that the Western white society, through various means, has kind of imposed a system upon this indigenous village in in Woutler and yeah all kind of expeditions today also do need to be kind of informed by that historical context and Maria Sabina's relatives getting killed her family her family house being burned down and kind of dying an outcast because folks were so pissed off about the kind of social upheaval that the whole Gordon Wasson revelation did to their society. But then on the other hand, you know, look, looking back, like surely it's a good thing that everyone knows that these magic mushrooms that are, that are universally ubiquitously growing in the ground are beneficial and, and it's gone some way to transforming our society in, in some ways for, for the better. Yeah. You know, I think this is like, this is a challenging conversation to have about all of history, right? Like, I wouldn't be sitting here in this chair in the U.S. talking to you about decolonization and psychedelics and the history of psychedelic oppression and all these things if the transatlantic slave market had not happened and my family was not taken from West Africa and um, brought to Jamaica, and right? And that doesn't erase the immense trauma and pain that that has brought to my lineage. And so it's this, it's this balancing of, yes, everything that has happened in history had to happen for us to arrive to this moment, to be having this conversation and recognizing that and also honoring the the wound the deep wounds that that has created for many many lineages across the world who continue to be subjects of an oppressive system of violence and racism and gender-based violence and all these other pieces that it's like very much for me always a conversation of both and 
um, and recognizing recognizing all of that truth. Like that's also what the, the medicine helps us do, right? Is like expand our ability to hold multiple perspectives. And so for me, that has helped me and say, okay, yes, these things did have to happen to arrive to this moment. And also what can we learn from it? How can we learn not to repeat it? And how do we heal the, the deep wounds and harm and trauma that has been caused by all of those moments throughout history? 100%. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a lot to, lot to digest. I, I would say, yeah, my psychedelic experiences have ultimately just led me to this place of gratitude and acceptance, I guess. Mm. Um, but also a lot, a lot of motivation to try and do what I can to, to change things as well. So, yeah, I, I know you're working on this liberation training courses, like give, giving them and facilitating. Do you, do you want to just like tell us a bit about that and, and why, why that's so important right now, especially in the context of this conversation we've been having? Yeah, for sure. So the Psychedelic Liberation Training is a 10-week online training program for therapists and clinicians and just practitioners in the psychedelic space in general who really want to approach their work with reverence and a strong foundation in intersectional justice work and decolonization education so that they can be stewards of collective liberation. So I really see it as a blending of liberation psychology, decolonization education, and theogenic shamanism and psychedelic assisted therapy. So we we approach it from a place of bridging ancestral work, sacred ceremonial work, and the modern resurgence of psychedelic assisted therapy. And we approach that from a personal decolonization process because, you know, I think as the as the greatest um healers know, you have to go through your personal process and healing first. Like you can only take people as far as you have gone yourself in in the journeys and in the self-exploration. So it really looks at this question of what are the ways in which I oppress myself and how do I project that oppression back into the world or how do I participate in the policing of others? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not a three-step process. It's not something that people are necessarily familiar with or thinking about, but feel this call to use their gifts, use their their passion and their purpose in the psychedelic space for collective healing and not just for personal transformation. So we go through sort of foundational knowledge, shared language, and then have a number of guest speakers who come in to share about building community, um, building psychedelic community with neurodivergent folks, with queer communities, how we can center blackness and BIPOC identity and what tools can be used, especially in the preparation and, and integration to really carry this, this conversation or this perspective of decolonization work into psychedelic work. Amazing. Well, it's not, not a minute overdue, but yeah, thank, thankfully, I think there is a lot more 
at least consciousness about this and folks seeking to do the right thing. Um, but yeah, how, how can we make sure that the cultures which created and safeguarded many of these psychedelic traditions are respected and that there's at least like a positive like exchange yeah absolutely i want to shout out my sister sutton king uh on this topic because she has been talking tirelessly about how we can be in right relationship and how we need to move past just a conversation of reciprocity and into a conversation around benefit sharing and you know one of the ways that i see the characteristics or manifestations of white supremacy show up most strongly in the psychedelic space is through the sense of urgency and the desire for rush that i see and so there's like sort of that that joke or like trope of the person that goes to one ceremony and is like the medicine told me that i am a shaman and now i'm going to go back and build retreats and pitch this idea and get investors and right and doesn't really hold the sacred process of coming into this work at, in integrity and i also recognize in the modern context like you don't necessarily have 30 40 years to be an apprentice and this is the only thing that you're doing and you're right so there is some shifting that we have to make for our context and there is from my viewpoint greater respect and reverence that needs to be brought into this space around how quickly we're training people to be facilitators or medicine people or whatever you want you want to call it um, so I feel like in terms of learning more about moving from reciprocity to benefit sharing, the IMCF is really good for this. The organization that I mentioned before, the International Medicine Conservation Fund, which Sutton is a part of, and really thinking about how do we create these more sustainable relationships of sharing resources and like lifting while we climb instead of saying, okay, cool. Like for every retreat I do, I give 10% back to this community and that that puts me in right relationship and that that in reality really just carries forward this transactional way of relating that we have been conditioned to through the economic systems that we are a part of and participate in so I think it's more about I don't really have like a, a clear-cut answer on that but more about how are you remaining in right relationship and how are you building community with those that you that you learn from to try to diminish how extractive this space could become yeah there's a great piece in harper's magazine a couple of weeks ago bring bring the medicine to the white man i think it was headlined and and the writer underwent part of like a medicine slash Native American ceremony facilitator program. It, it was, I mean, not not necessarily totally just connected to peyote, but also with vision, vision quests and all, all parts of their traditions. But the organizations you did it with aren't actually Native, Native American church certified 
but it's like a kind of controversial offshoot that doesn't really have permission. And, and the piece kind of culminates with the, the author refusing to sit in the peyote ceremony, kind of following um, the the wishes of, of some of these indigenous groups, including the, the Native American church and notably Michael Pollan and, and others. Is that one way to yeah be in alignment with indigenous communities follow following following their wishes not to consume peyote for example yeah i feel like this brings up another really important aspect of the conversation which is who has the authority quote unquote the authority to give permission and Peyote is a particularly messy one, I think, as we have seen. Carlos from Decriminalized Nature is like, yo, my people have been, you know, communing with peyote as a sacrament for thousands of years and, and the Native American church, perhaps 200, 200 years. But I mean, who am I? But then who am I, like, you know, to sit here right. and pontificate on the whole thing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, and we also, I see this, I think I mentioned this before, but this like pedestaling of certain indigenous groups or certain indigenous people, like individuals as mouthpieces or representations of an entire community of people. And I was recently in, um, in Mexico, in Trail de Catorce with the Huirarica or the Huichol people. And when we talked to them about conservation issues they were like oh we want people to come down and to pilgrim with us and to experience the medicine our huge concern are the industrial tomato plantations and chicken farms mm -hmm. that are buying up huge swaths of land where peyote grows and making it inaccessible for us to go and harvest who are also literally like bombing rain clouds so that it does or does not rain here and changing the environment, the industrial chemical dumpster that they wanted to put there. And so they were far less concerned about, you know, our 35 person group who was there consuming a, in relative terms small amount of medicine over the course of ceremonies that were led by the marakame and and were facilitated by us being invited in based on a 25 year relationship that our teacher had with this community so it's also like who are we talking to to get this information who has the authority to give permission we also I don't know if you have this happening a lot in England, but we do a lot in the US right now where there are sort of these like tours of um, shamans from like the Hunikuin communities or the Awanawa who do rapé circles and grandma ceremonies and these music circles and are seen as these um, sort of like legitimate actors in the space. And then when you go to some ayahuasca or yahe communities in South America and you talk to the elders, the folks who are really leading the ceremonies, the taitas would never leave the jungle because it would strip them of their power. And they would 
they have like very clear directives around how they share the medicine outside of the community. And so, again, I think this falls into this exoticizing of melanated indigenous communities and how we how we view who has the permission to share these medicines yeah there's no there's no there's no necessarily like right or wrong answers because it there's always different different lineages different communities that rightly have have their different views and as you mentioned the the conversation and the whole culture in in mexico is as you can imagine a, a lot different to the more more kind of charged atmosphere in in the us which is as a result of wanting to right some of the wrongs Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other piece of this conversation I'd like to bring in is also that it's quite possible that the medicine is more intelligent, like the plants are more intelligent. Right. And they have some agenda that we're not necessarily all clued in on, on how they want to be shared and where they want to end up. And, um, you know, when I was with the when I was in Ecuador last year, we were asking some of these questions like how do we share respectfully who has the authority to share this medicine and who should come here and do you want more people to come here and and <laughs> the elders had the most hilarious response just like yeah please come and drink the medicine because the west is sick and you all need this medicine to begin coming back into right relationship with the earth and with each other and so it was more so a conversation around like how to do that respectfully, but that yes, they wanted to be sharing this tradition and sharing these medicines outside of their community to try to work with this technology to right so many of the wrongs that have led us to the point that we're that we're in in, in history. Yeah, I had a full on communion with Mother Nature, Pashamama, one time with ayahuasca. It made such an impression on me. I even got it tattooed on my chest. It was pretty painful because it it was only the week after the ceremony. But an experience like that for for this mere mortal was was just so earth shattering. And yeah, I could I could never I could never not consider like the the consequences or the ramifications of my actions on the environment and others more than I did before. Like I, it was done. It was done. Yeah. There's no like walking it back. You can't forget it. Well, certainly not with this tattoo now. <laughs> she just had like such an angelic kind of cheeky, but like mm. knowing kind of omniscient kind mm -hmm. of yeah, feminine vibe and, I can still kind of see her if, if I if I close my eyes and, and concentrate on it. It's like etched in, into my mind. And other people have have kind of hypothesized that ayahuasca particularly has has got this kind of plan. I I don't know about that, but if if it does, it, it seems seems to be working steadily. I mean, the explosion I couldn't have imagined it five or six years ago when, when I first started writing about this stuff that there would there would just be this explosion across across the world mm -hmm. yeah and it's so interesting with ayahuasca too and and yahe this like this love and light energy that i feel like 
gets put around that medicine when my experience of mother earth is that it's like absolute pure love that sense of understanding what interconnection is that you are all beings that all beings are you and also that mother nature is the volcano and the flood and the drought and the avalanche and so it's not just the love and light piece but it's also this like radical anger and this passion right of of responding to the way that we that we treat her or respond to her and and holding all of that as truth as well the the love and the light and the heavy darkness and the scary parts that it's really for me working with the medicines is coming into like this greater wholeness and I think you said early on acceptance but of the full spectrum of what it is to be a being on this earth so are you optimistic I, I just wrote this piece I think they might publish it next week for double blind on how lots of CEOs are, are taking ayahuasca particularly and you've got like Hunter Biden smoking 5-MeO-DMT and using Ibogaine to try and you know get to grips with his drug and alcohol dependency many other notables Will Smith like there's no end of people coming out with about these powerful psychedelic experiences it seems almost in vogue i mean how how many of us need need to take this stuff before before society radically shifts into into a more just system or has it already happened i just haven't got the memo <laughs> so for me this is where this is like the crux of it this is where the decolonization education or the challenging of beliefs is so important because you could drink ayahuasca all day, every day, eat a bunch of mushrooms, do 5-MeO-DMT and like still be a shitty human being because we've seen fuckers. These fuckers don't want to look into the mirror and do the integration work, look inside themselves and maybe like do a little five minute meditation every morning. Right. 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 So it's like, sure, you're a CEO, you're taking these medicines, but I mean, microdosing became super popular in Silicon Valley. And the conversation was, how do I become more productive? How do I stay at work longer hours? How do I make a more addictive app for people to put on their phones? And so unless we are consciously interrogating where those beliefs are coming from and consciously or intentionally thinking about why we're working with these medicines, we absolutely can insert them into our context to just replicate what we've already been doing and to even double down on it. Um, I don't know if you remember <clears throat> January 6th, a few years ago in the US that like all those people stormed the Capitol and the one dude who was like the sort of poster child for it was that QAnon shaman with the, with the huge uh, horned helmet thing. And like, he was a psychedelic facilitator. He had a church where he was expounding these beliefs. We've seen a weirdly strong pipeline from neo-shamanic conscious communities to QAnon beliefs and like these hardcore conspiracy theories. Oh, for me, I don't really. Trump is like their supreme liberator. Yes. So it's like clearly without strong integrity, uh, and and elders and community leadership and community accountability 
you could be working with these medicines to just expand, increase, strengthen your own ego and develop this sort of godlike complex. Let's be intentional about what are we thinking about? What what are we wanting to to dismantle? And more importantly, what are we looking to build by engaging with these medicines? Yeah, and I saw some Brazilian groups were supporting Bolsonaro ahead of ahead of Lula, um, like you know Brazilian medicine groups. I think connected to the Santo Daume Church, and yeah, I think like yeah, for some people they're too far gone. Like I saw Nigel Farage. You, you probably don't know him, but he's like a kind of British equivalent of Donald, Donald Trump interviewing someone on his talk show about psychedelics the other day. And it seemed like he was pretty sold on the benefits. But yeah, I think like unless folks are ready to really look inside, it will in many cases, I think, inevitably just increase like egotistical behaviors or even like a more superiority kind of complex Um so I guess what what can we do? What can we do about that? Like maybe the FDA, maybe the FDA will have to like mandate some kind of like shadow work or like, I don't know, family parts work or something. Yeah, I mean, that would be, that'd be so interesting. I mean, what you're bringing up really is a conversation about spiritual bypassing. Yeah. Right. And And I think that this loops us back to the initial conversation too of people responding ballistically to this idea that you need to be coupling this work with strong unlearning as well and like strong questioning of your conditioning and social conditioning and oppression and all these other pieces so maybe people just aren't having these kind of breakthrough experiences Mm. i know like some some people struggle to really let go and surrender to, to the medicine it sounds it sounds very woo woo <laughs> letting go and surrendering to the medicine but I, I've I've seen it like folks having an active mind and mm-hmm. and I've been there as well and just not being able in certain mm-hmm. moments to breathe and let it kind of subsume you and then in a couple of hours after, after you've allowed this to happen then kind of sitting there and considering what's happened and what have I learned and what can I then put into my daily life to maybe make me not want to go to through through this whole thing in the next couple of months Mm -hmm. yeah I think and this circles to one of the things that I do um when doing prep work with people is to do some of that shadow work and specifically around fears. Like what fears are present for you? Do you have a fear of death, which can manifest as a fear of letting go? Do you have a fear of going crazy, which could make you hold tighter when the, when the medicine is coming to, to consume you and really starting to look at that. One of, one of my teachers talks about this, like there's a lot of free work that you can be doing to not take your basic conflicts to the medicine. There's a lot of sitting with yourself, whether it's in meditation or breath work or therapy or having a spiritual advisor, whatever it is that will help you do some of this shadow work, like you said, parts work, really like looking at yourself before arriving to the medicine, building a really clear intention to come to the medicine with so that when you get to that space, 
you're able to go to the depths that you need with the medicine to clear out whatever you are looking to clear out or to make space for whatever you want to welcome in or to celebrate whatever your intention is. And that without that, uh, you can really treat this as like an amusement park for your mind. And it can kind of just be like, oh, I'm going to go do this thing. Or like you said, not doing the integration. And people are just, oh, I drink ayahuasca twice a month. But then their daily lives look exactly the same. Um, and so... Yeah, it's just like a replacement instead of raving. And I mean, fair enough. Fair enough. Like if if if, if you've, you know, raved too hard and <laughs> you've got yourself in some really sticky situations come Monday morning and you've discovered let's say ayahuasca and you do that instead that's i guess better than drinking yourself into into oblivion and and potentially really hurting yourself. but have you done any of the work to look at why you're trying to escape and avoid your life because now you've just replaced one thing for another as a tool for avoidance and escapism i had a conversation recently with somebody who was talking about um not drinking as much and doing so they were just doing mushrooms when they went out instead. Yeah, I had. And a I'm like, I, I get it. Like my pathway into this work was also as a rave party girl, and I also had my own journey to um, not engaging with alcohol anymore. But even that for me was super interesting. Where. I really recognize like, oh, I don't actually have a problem with alcohol. I have a problem with boundaries and communicating what I need and having a fear of rejection that if I stop drinking, my friends won't want to hang out with me or invite me to places. So really, do I have a problem with the substance or do I have a deeper conflict that I need to look at and that I'm trying to bypass through substance and then just swapping one for the other? So even in this, it's like an interesting place for people to to start to think like, okay, but why am I engaging with these substances or why am I engaging with these medicines? And is it coming from a place of curiosity and exploration or is it coming from a place of avoidance and escapism? Yeah, I guess I, that I was thinking about that a bit the weekend before last. I went out in London and took a couple of little microdoses into the evening. And yeah, I guess my intention is just to come more into my body and like a state of flow. And I can kind of do that like through dance or like an ecstatic dance, for example, when there's like pure expression movement. But when you're like listening to like, you know, house and techno and disco in like a really like tight, like crowd of people. Yeah, it helps, you know, a little bit of LSA actually, these Hawaiian baby seeds is like natural, mm. natural LSA. Yeah, yeah. But then like as the as the day wore on, I've I felt like I I really enjoyed it and like I really enjoyed connecting with with new people and old friends. But in in one moment, I was like, wow, like most people around me, I feel like they're just disconnecting. They're like drinking or taking cocaine and I was like, that's really not my vibe right now. And actually I'm like really feeling this kind of anxiety energy around me. And yeah, I've I've been kind of pondering on that since. Yeah. And I, I also don't want to sound like hardcore in this conversation and not giving people grace that like we're this is part of the conditioning that we're tethered in and and trying to come out of. 
And that there can also absolutely just be an intention to like, I want to be in greater connection with my body and like dance more, or I am on a celebratory journey, right? Or I'm like doing this to connect more deeply with my group of friends. For me, the challenge comes from what you're saying, like then it can turn at some point. Um, and it becomes this heightened awareness for the environment that you're in. And then sometimes that environment doesn't align with what you, like the flow that you are on. And I personally have found that I have become increasingly more sensitive to medicine. So when I used to be able to, yeah, I'm gonna go out and like take this, whatever, mushrooms, MDMA, and just like have a good time. Now I can't, my mind will go into, or not even my mind, my body, my heart will start to move into something or my mind will start to go, right? And and then I'm not in the environment to to support that. And so for me, I've really had to, and it's gone through phases, but like shift just where and when I'm engaging with the medicine for my personal process. Yeah, no one has to be pretty mindful. I mean, we were leaving this festival and getting a taxi to a club and there'd been like a, a sort of attack and like cops were looking for, for someone who'd, you know, stabbed someone. And they asked us like if we'd seen anything and we were like, no, but you know, really hope, really hope they're okay. And it, it's those things, even if, even if one has taken like a small amount of psychedelics, but obviously my, my thoughts primarily are, are, are with, with the folks that were affected here, but, yeah, for a moment, I was like, fuck. Like, I was even like, oh, yeah. my God, am I going to have a bad trip? This kind of like, this specter, this kind of mm-hmm. shadow comes across when when suddenly, oh, everything's not rainbows and butterflies out here. Yeah, and life just like comes at you. And that's the thing that I find really challenging in engaging with the medicine outside of just like nature like oh i'm out camping with friends and we're you know it's just going to be us today it for me it's really when those like unknown energies come in and when you're in a setting like a festival a party having to like traverse between places get in a taxi there's so many things that could happen somebody could say one thing the taxi driver has like a little bit of an attitude or says something you know and it just like draws you on this whole other journey that you were like oh I was just planning to take this microdose and like dance and feel in my body and now the cops are in my face asking me about somebody who got stabbed and now I'm also having a whole I would be having a whole anxiety about like the police and the the danger of the police which I think is different for y'all in in England a bit but um and I'm sure different as a non-melanated person but yeah I just um that sounds terrible (laughs) yeah luckily like most of my most of my friends had like taking a balloon with like NOS nitrous oxide mm-hmm. just before as well, and I, I, I mean they they seem to they, they said they really really enjoyed it. I I didn't fancy it, and you know especially in hindsight, I'm even more glad that I didn't partake because that might have even sent me even further further west than I than I yeah <laughs> flirted with. Um, but yeah, we're just about to be yeah closing up and. I couldn't I couldn't help but notice you've got like some marks from the cambo the frog poison uh, mm-hmm. that kind of induces a, a detox through through like an intense brief period of throwing up to, for those who, who don't know 
how, how did you how did you get into doing doing camba? I know that's another kind of medicine from the Amazon that's sometimes used in conjunction with ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Um, so combo is actually was my bridge into intentional and ceremonial work with the medicine. So it was the first ceremony I ever sat in was a combo bufo ceremony. And that's also the first medicine that I apprenticed with. Um, was supporting and assisting in combo ceremonies and is a medicine that I still work with um, and offer to my community. It is, I mean, talking about getting into your body, I feel like combo is such a powerful medicine for somatic healing, for grounding. And it's frequently talked about in this, like, what are you letting go? What are you surrendering? What are you releasing? And for me, combo is also like the flip side of that. Like, what am I making room for? By clearing out some of these stagnant energies or emotions or um, physical blockages or pain or whatever it is that you're working with this medicine for, you're also making space to welcome newness into your life. And frequently I find in the psychedelic space, we're like hyper-focused on healing, which has a connotation of fixing or um, clearing out trauma or and combo can also be, and these other medicines in your preparation process, like also thinking about, okay, if I do clear out this trauma, if I do heal these wounds, what have I made space for and what do I want to call it in my life? And for me, that's where like the conversation of collective liberation really links in as well, is what am I calling in for myself or what am I calling in for my community and for our world and for our earth? And really being focused on not just not just the darkness and the hurt and the suffering, but the joy and the celebration and the love that we really need to make these shifts a reality in our world. Yeah, not to be flippant, but the first thing I'm thinking of after doing Cambo is like some sweet potato soup. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Mine is an acai bowl. Acai bowl? Yeah, I'm like, I always want like, something warm and but then also i don't know then you just did all that throwing up like the coolness of of fruit coming back into your system Hmm? yogurt no 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 just like fruit and blended fruit and uh i don't know how they make them in england ours usually don't have dairy in them all right yeah i mean we we basically just have sweet potato soup yeah i mean root vegetables are always good after ceremony um for that regrounding yeah i've never i've never had had fruit straight afterwards but Mm. that's that sound pretty tasty it's pretty solid also fruit after lsd is like the most magical thing honestly for me fruit after like a little bit of fruit after any ceremony is like this is like sunshine in my body um and i really love that cool well that's a lovely um cadence to to end end (laughs) conversation on thanks very much for taking the time